This is the Prepared Mindset Podcast, and as always, I'm your host, Austin. Got another awesome discussion coming to you guys this week with Adrian of Sidewinder Concepts. You guys, one of my big goals for this year is to expand my knowledge base and skill set out into long-range shooting. And that's exactly what Sidewinder Concepts is all about. That's what we get into. We we get into honestly, we get into a whole bunch of stuff, and there wasn't even enough time to unpack it all. Where we already honestly have a follow-up conversation scheduled down the line uh, to get even deeper into the weeds on you know all the concepts that come with uh, you know with, with distance shooting, scoped carbine, and the nuance and the minutia that that surround that topic because it is such uh, a popular thing now in what you're seeing in the gun world and on Instagram with guys running LPVOs and was it like MPVOs or something, you know, uh, two to tens instead of one to eights, one to sixes and stuff. The, the concept is growing and people are getting better and challenging themselves and pushing themselves further, which is great as long as you have the education and the training to go with it. And a lot of that is what we get into in our discussion here. Before I get over to that, As always, we are a sponsored podcast. We are super privileged to work with some really, really awesome companies. Want to shout them out for their tremendous support of our podcast here. So first up is ActiveCarryTech.com. Guys, ActiveCarry is your stop for all things medical. Whether you need a tourniquet, some chest seals, some gauze, some parts and pieces, maybe a Slishman pressure wrap to fill out the kit that you already have. Maybe you listen to our discussion with Nomadic Clinician and you realize that you just need a little bit more. Active Carry has it all. They got you covered. Discount code PMP10 is even going to save you 10% off your order. Maybe you realize that the kit that you picked up from the grocery store is really not enough and you need an IFAC. Check out their Blazer V2. Need something a little bit more robust? Maybe you need something for two people, three people. Check out the Gamma. If you're an ankle kit person, not per, you know, not my thing, but their Guardian ankle kit is an awesome option. And if you look through all that, you still can't find what you need. Go ahead and take advantage of their custom kit builder. Again, ActiveCarryTech.com, PMP10 to save 10% off your order. Head on over today. Make sure you are all set for when tragedy strikes. Next up. LARPLabs.com. I actually just got some vinyls in the mail today from John over at LARP Labs. You guys, he hooked you up with discount code prepared mindset to save you 10% off your killer computer cut vinyl wraps for your optics, your handheld lights, your weapon lights, PVS 14s, some of your lasers. And John is always working on scanning new patterns in, new optics, give you guys the most options that you can. And this is high grade stuff. So they use commercially to wrap competitive rock crawlers as an outdoor life rated at three years. And I just actually peeled some off of my magnifier because I got the full wrap in today and no sticky residue, no goo. They don't shrivel. They don't peel awesome high grade computer cut vinyls in lieu of needing to paint and repaint and repaint and repaint your optics, uh, your lights, whatever have you. Again, larplabs.com prepared mindset is the discount code for 10% off Go grab you one today. <clears throat> and last, but certainly not least, have to say thank you to our friends over at 100 Concepts. Also got a package in the mail today from them with another light cap and some pay speeds. Uh, I got their helmet scrim, already have some of their light caps. Great, great product design, really innovative, simple, ships with everything you need. Cannot say enough good things about Garrett and Jonah and the guys over there and the work that they're doing to bring you all innovative designs at a 
price point that you can't even argue and it's so effective great ideas like super super thrilled to work with them guys head over to the website 100concepts.com check out everything they have going on and they're always rolling out new ideas so stay tuned keep your eyes peeled go pick up some helmet scrims pack scrim get some scope caps light caps it's all good stuff again 100concepts.com huge supporter of what we are doing here at prepared mindset all right so through the ad space it's all good we love supporting those companies and working with those companies. Highly recommend you guys go check them out. But like I said, I have Adrian joining me, Sidewinder Concepts, former U.S. Army sniper, spent just under a decade in the service, so the guy really knows what's up. Super cool dude. I think you guys are really going to enjoy and just really learn some stuff. I know I definitely learned a few things in this conversation. So without any further delay, no more holdups, I am going to get us all over to my conversation with Adrian. Here we go. Check it out. Adrian, welcome to the pod, man. How you doing? Good, and you? Not too bad, brother. Not too bad. Uh, appreciate you making the time. Uh, I know we've had this on the books for a hot second. It's been a minute. Uh, couple, a a month, long. at least a month, a little bit. Yeah, it's about uh, a month. Yeah, I'm. I'm. That's like what something I picked up last year. I'm actually. I have like a whole calendar and everything. It's very professional. Uh, you know, just getting my life together uh, like a real adult and everything. Uh, there you go. But we, I had, uh, I had Nick Kitelka on. Uh, honestly, that was probably a couple months back, and he he spoke very highly of you. Uh, and range shooting is something that I know that is that's your wheelhouse, uh, and something I'm not great with. <laughs> um, it, I mean, up, I feel okay up to like 100 yards, you know. But after that, I defer to, you know, specialists, people like yourself that know that know what you're talking about, right? Um, so with that, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners, man? Just uh, talk a little bit about, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, name's Adrian, uh, owner and lead instructor for Sidewinder Concepts, um, mainly focus in the long range realm or mid to long range realm. So scope carving, bolt guns, competition, I mean, you name it. Um, background is a, just got recently got out of the army, uh, spent just shy of a decade in the uh doing the whole sniper and reconnaissance thing. And um, that's pretty much where all my experience came, uh, came from. And then just trying to advance from there. So, so then now so then, just doing my own thing. <laughs> so as doing reconnaissance work then, and I know you were kind of mentioning this when we were talking before we, we started recording, the whole hashtag recce thing is probably like, you really love seeing that. I can, t- I can just assume that's probably one of your favorite things about social media. It's, it's a widely used word, but I think that a lot of people don't fully understand the aspect of it or they do. They just don't, they don't see the whole encompassing factors of it. Kind right. Of thing. Yeah. Those are, those are always my favorite posts guys. Like this is my recce loadout. And, uh, who was it? I think it was, uh, Hey, like, well, here, Blake let, me hit, let me hit you with this one. Let yeah. me hit you with this one. Right. So to me, recce, right. First off, I would say get rid of the word recce rifle and just call it a recce weapon. Because when you go into a reconnaissance role, usually you're in a small team moving to some location and you're getting eyes on. That's the whole field craft part and the infill and exfil stuff. That's if everything goes perfectly fine. Now, the other half of it, which is the shooting part per se, 
is when shit hit the fan and you got to break contact because you don't have a support system per se. Now, it's not every situation, but most of the time you are far away from any kind of support. So it comes down to what is the best weapon system that can maximize your efficiency to get the hell out of a situation. If you're right. doing if you're doing some kind of like in in a city kind of urban environment, a pistol might be the only thing you got. Guess what? That's your recce weapon per se. The <laughs> the analogy I use all the time is is look at a Hollywood movie for example. Every James Bond movie, he goes into some area to go get some information and then he has to take whatever he's got to get the fuck out of there because he got caught. <laughs> Right. That's essentially the same thing. So it's all about Every breaking time. contact and using whatever you got. Now, when you look at the the rifles that all these guys are building, um, the most common thing is generally some kind of magnified optic, a variable, variable magnification optic on something that's more standardized across the the industry or from the military, it'd be whatever the standard issued rifle is, but upping the um, accessories that are on there to try to get as much um, coverage of whatever your role is within that team, team-based thing. Yeah. So and that's kind of where that comes from. Usually you see like way too much in addition to it. Like, uh, because I think the assumption with some people is when you say, or when some people say, right, recce rifle, it, it bleeds over into the, the idea of like a sniper weapon where Everything is just about range and capability. And there's so little consideration for what happens if you have to move with that thing. And people have like 25 pound rifles and you're like, yeah, man, that looks really sweet sitting on that table. Like how sweet was it? If you would have to carry it, you know, five miles, um, people start taking stuff off. Like, oh yeah, maybe this, maybe this bipod wasn't the best idea, or maybe this clip on night vision scope doesn't need to live on there full time or, uh, you know, well, I mean, maybe I should just get in shape and be able to move the stuff that I want to actually. No, now you're talking move. crazy, totally unreasonable. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's something that I think, you know, given the capabilities that we see out of like, let's just say the the standard five five six round, right? I think mm-hmm. that it, it we've definitely seen the shift right to magnified optics, and with that, the price on some of those higher performing offerings are, are are coming down so more guys can kind of get into it um so with what you're doing with sidewinder is that what you're seeing a lot of guys just want to take the rifle they have or is it more like a precision rifle bolt gun large calibers uh you know reaching out to i don't know 500 yards plus so to kind of answer that first part um the answer is yes, a lot of guys are taking what they already have and seeing if they can stretch it into a new discipline that they haven't they haven't really done before. So majority of the people that I see or have had in, in previous classes are carbine guys. Um, so your flat range shooters or your CQB guys that yeah. are willing to now dip into a new realm. And so the easiest route for them is to just upgrade the optic rather than going into a completely new um, rifle setup at that point. Mm-hmm. And that leads into the next part where you have a, a, a completely new category of guys that do dip into the full long range builds, 
but there's a threshold in between the two where there's a huge intimidation factor that people aren't necessarily willing to jump into. So one of them is usually money. Like you hear long range and you immediately just start thinking like, well, you know, might as well just hand out my wallet to whoever wants to yep. you know, <laughs> go for the build. And yeah. the, the whole idea, one of the biggest driving factors for, for starting Sidewinder was the intimidation factor. So like, even when I first got into long range and I started shooting competitions, I had guys telling me straight out, like, yeah, you just need to save up your money from the army, which wasn't that much. Go buy this stuff. And uh, to me, I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to just sit there and buy that just because you're saying that I want to understand the reasons why. And, and so then I just went into my own whole thing of really diving so deep into the mechanics and um, the understanding of all this stuff so that I can find where I can go cheaper in some areas or, you know, the, this is, this is just as efficient as that is and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, so the I mean, intimidation factor is what I'm trying to combat that's, more or less. It's, it's huge. I mean, you look as somebody who for years only shot five, five, six, like, I remember, I mean, you, you read enough things, you see enough things, you know what some of the larger calibers out there are. Right. Sure. And then I just remember even, even pre uh, events of 2020, right. Before the ammo crisis <laughs> and you can't find anything, you know, like I remember looking at six, five Creed more, or uh, I mean, even just three Oh eight, you know, and it's like looking at my box of five, five, six, and it's like $7. Or if you got the really primo stuff, like 11, for 20 mm-hmm. rounds and then you look at six five creed more and it's like holy shit it's like double the cost like f that why would i why would i ever want to and eventually i did wind up buying a six five creed more and I actually really do like it um but that's it's <laughs> such a it is I, I i you know and it's weird because i don't think the rifles themselves are mechanically they're, they're actually mechanically less complicated in a bolt gun it's just all the the other stuff when you get into like the eight way adjustable stocks and uh, you know, the chassis and all the goofy stuff you see guys put on and you got four different levels strapped to that thing. And it's like, I'm not ready for all that. And I think to your point, right. That's why guys get so like apprehensive about it. And like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just stay in my lane, bro. Well, I mean, I, I've said this several times where, (laughs) This might sound crazy to whoever's listening to this, but I have said multiple times that if I could take a brand new shooter who's never shot a gun before and start them at long range and then taught them how to do carbine work and pistol work, I believe that they they would um, grow so much faster within the shooting community because the perception of how you see the targets or how you understand how the, the bullet flies and all that good stuff is, is taught in obviously in the very beginning and it trickles down everything from long range trickles down to every other platform that you, that you work with. And so every single time I get these, these carbine guys or like the SWAT guys that I've, I've worked with and then they go and they hit a thousand yards and then they're like, well, five and 600 seems like a joke. And we're not even allowed to shoot past 200 in, in a, in a SWAT scenario. And it's all because of the perception of the targets and then understanding how, how their bullets are flying or how they're 
the mechanics of their specific setups. Um, essentially how their, their setups are, are made to, to do those distances. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean, cause once you hit, like you say, once you hit that thousand, you're like, well, wow. I mean, <clears throat> I can cut that in half, which is still, I mean, 500 is still pretty impressive for most shooters. Right. And you're like, it just, I, maybe it's like the, it, it helps to eliminate that fear of failure. That I think some people have like, I mean, I know shooting 250, yeah. I, I was super intimidated just by 250 because it's the longest shots I've ever taken. And so the way, I mean, even the way I have like my my um, long range one class set up is you pretty much get your, your chrono data, so your muzzle velocity, you zero your rifles, and the first target we hit of the day is a thousand yards. What? I would, yep. I, I would die of fright. Not really. Well, but I mean, and there's some guys that are like, I've had, yeah, I've had guys that are like shaking and stuff like that, which is totally fine. It's, but as long as they follow the process, right. And they understand what they're doing and they got all the fundamentals and they, they do what they need to. These guys are usually getting their, their impacts at a thousand yards in less than 10 rounds as their first shot on on target and then the minute that they hit that their nerves and everything completely just go away because they're just like well now what do we hit because we thought we weren't going to hit the thousand until the very end and we started Mm -hmm. with that kind of thing so now it's like you built the confidence and and now we need to start developing the consistency and making sure that we got the composure (laughs) to go with it right and so is that like I I guess my assumption would be that's a larger caliber they're taking that shot with like 308 something up there. Uh yeah, so when I when I do the long range classes, I the smallest caliber that I allow in is a 224 Valkyrie and okay. and bigger. So then let me ask this. If somebody is wanting to I mean they have a 556 rifle, what's the in, I mean, maybe it's a matter of opinion. Maybe it's a matter of, of fact. I don't honestly know. What's the longest effective range for a 5.56 five, gun? So there's a whole portion in the in the course that specifically helps you to identify where the max effective is based off of your barrel setup, your twist rate, your optics setup, your the bullet you're shooting so on and so forth. So every single mm-hmm. one is actually going to be slightly different. The average that we see for 5.56 is that it will be um, max effective up to about 500 to 600, depending on barrel length. And it can go past, but that's when we start seeing how transonic it starts affecting uh, the projectile itself. So there's the three stages of flight. You have your supersonic flight, then it goes into transonic and then subsonic. As mm-hmm. it's as it's going down down range, and where we generally see max effective, which would be the the back end of supersonic, right before it hits transonic, would be roughly five hundred ish for five five six. So once it hits that that change there, transonic, you're talking about it. Does it is that where it loses? I'm trying to think what I've been explained about this before the the tumbling effect that makes five five six effective. Is that where that it loses that? Um, so well so when it hits transonic what what ends up happening is 
generally the sound waves are catching back up because sound is moving at a constant per right. the day. And as it's moving through, it pretty much just gyrates the the projectile off its its initial axis in flight. Gotcha. And so then it picks back up to wherever it naturally lands, where the the frustrating thing about transonic is there's nothing that we can do to measure that. We can measure everything in subsonic and we can measure everything in supersonic. We don't have anything to measure transonic. And so generally the bigger, the heavier, the higher BC bullet that you're shooting will punch through that transonic zone more consistently. So if you ever have the opportunity, and I hope you do, um, when you start taking like some, for the example, 5.56 past Mm -hmm. 5 and 600, yes, you can hit targets at further distances, but you'll start to see the shot spread open like significantly. It'll be like, like super accurate all the way up to about five or 600. And then you'll start seeing the shot spread, like just open up like crazy. Will you still get hits at those distances? Yeah, absolutely. But the probability is going to be a lot bigger. Yeah. Now, is that something, I assume that's something you'd use. Uh, well, I mean, I guess you can do it either way, but just talking about a maximum effective range with something like that, someone who's looking to replicate that kind of performance ought to say like, just because it's standard off the shelf, like 16 inch gun, five, five, six. I don't know. I don't know. What is you, maybe your preference or what do you see a lot of, I guess, as far as optics? Cause I know it's really popular right now for dudes to run LPVOs, right? <clears throat> um, for years it was what, like the Steiner one to four was like the benchmark. Now it's mm-hmm. like the, uh, I don't know. The vortex razor one to six is really good. Um, if you can get a hold of one of the older Leopolds, the one to six, uh, I've heard those are really good too. A lot of us can't afford the uh, extra bougie night force stuff. Um, but that that's what's super popular is, you know, LPVO life, bruh. Um, but that's only six times magnification. I say that as somebody, again, who doesn't really get a lot of exposure to the longer range stuff. Is that enough for that kind of a shot? Or is that really something you should be looking into a one to 10 or even like a two to 10 optic? Uh, for the 500 and in stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Something like that. So it would also, um, for me, it would come down to, to, to back up just, just a hair going to the max effective again. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a couple different, um, versions I would say of max effective. You can go based off of your muzzle velocity. You can go based off of, um, the energy that the, the projectile is producing and you'll start to see that these distances changes. And the reason why I bring that up is if you're going max effective based off of energy from like, let's say a hunting aspect, you might want more scope so that you can be more effective at whatever that distance is versus just plinking on targets kind of thing. Right. So to go into, to go into the LPVO stuff, when you look at the LPVOs, Um, the way I kind of describe them is kind of like a, like a seesaw effect. And the reason why is, is as you're looking at it, like trying to balance, you'll see a lot of the reticle designs or magnification settings kind of either lean just a hair towards the CQB side, or you'll see it lean a hair towards the longer range side. And that's just by how busy the reticle is. So your BDCs and some of the more simple, just crosshair with a couple notches 
would mm-hmm. lean a little bit towards the CQB side so that you have that bigger field of view, you can get the dot and all that, all that other good stuff. So just being faster with it. As you start getting into some of these other optics where they're mill-based and they got a full-blown tree in there, those are more designed for taking your time and actually doing those longer shots. So the one to sixes, I'm like me, I'm comfortable with taking those out to, you know, five and 600 or even a hair further uh, on a, on a 16 inch, like you were referencing. Yeah. So the, the busier, the radical, the, the better clearly, right? The more shit you got on the glass, the better you'll shoot. Yeah. Well, this is, this is where it gets really funny hearing the debate. Yeah. <laughs> you hear the debate from some guys like, no, I like second focal plane, uh, BDC reticle. And then you hear some other guys saying like, no, I need the full tree. And you can definitely tell who's leaning towards uh, each each argument because, mm-hmm. well, where was your background? Well, I'm a, I'm a flat range shooter, you know, 25 yard, 50 yard, 100 yard stuff. Or you got the other guy who was used to doing longer range engagements and then bringing it to a carbine and so it's like this is that seesaw effect again so they're taking what their experience is and implementing it into now the lpvo because the lpvo can't fit a perfect scenario for every single person yet and i don't think it ever will kind of thing (laughs) it's always going to lean one way or the other and you see or like, I mean, there's stories, anybody listening, you can talk to your friends, right? Like everybody has that friend that's a hunter and I have a couple and they just run regular three to nine, like duplex radicals and like, oh, I don't need the fancy stuff. And, and to an extent that it's kind of true, depending on what you're going to shoot at. But then you hear stories like, oh yeah, I missed. Like I took the shot. I swear to God, it was dead on. And then they, and they miss like, not like I hit the deer and found the, the blood lost the deer. Like it's just a miss. And I think that that's one of the biggest from what I, I mean, from what I've observed anyways, is that you get people that will either, I, I just need a duplex. That's all I need. That's all I've ever needed. I'll be completely fine. And then you get guys who buy scopes based off of how much crap is on the glass and just assume that that's going to make them better, like more capable. Yes. But I think that especially as you see more, and again, from my limited amount of knowledge, but the more that you see these custom, I guess, or, or, or just these, these crazy radicals come out, right? They can be used so many different ways to give you so much data, but most people don't realize what they're doing or how to apply that. Would Is that something that you're finding with students is just not understanding what the radicals telling them? Yes, but it's also, it's also been fairly easy to break it down like every time I go through through the course I have you know the images showing hey this is what it started as and I want you to keep this this image in your head and it's a traditional just like TMR style which is Mm -hmm. the Leopold's reticle and then it as we start increasing to these these um, more busy reticles you'll see that everything has started with this foundation and it's just slightly adding to it. And from Uh, showing these guys and from showing these guys, like kind of where it started and then how it developed over time, they're able to see like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then they, and then everything is just a giant measuring tool. It's like a giant ruler in your, in your optic that you're using. I think too many people get so hung up on like mills and MOA and it's just like, just, just stop, just stop. (laughs) 
just it's it's a measuring device. <laughs> Whatever your reticle sees is is what you're going to put on the turret, or you know subtract from it, or do your holdovers and so on and so forth. Especially if you're using a ballistic calculator. Literally, the ballistic calculator is like Google Translate for whatever language you're using. You, you speak in MOA or you speak in MILS. I don't care. <laughs> the calculator will tell you what to do. And so are, are the, what, are, what do those run? Are those pretty popular nowadays in terms of like if you're serious about trying to reach, you know, reach out to those distances? You see a lot of students yeah. show up with those? The ballistic calculator? Yeah. There, there's free ones <clears throat> on, on, on the app store. Oh, seriously? Yeah, you can go on the App Store right now as we're speaking, download uh, Straylock Pro or a couple other different ones, and essentially take your 6.5 out and go hit 1,000 yards tomorrow if you got the proper data. It's all about putting proper data into it, and it'll spit out the exact information that you need. That. I'm gonna have to actually look into that. Uh, I don't know when I'm gonna get it. You know, access to a thousand yard range. Apparently, I've been told that they exist here in Michigan. I have sure yet to find one, <clears throat> but I, I that's you know that's another thing that Nick told me. He's like, yeah, we've got some guys up in Michigan. They they shoot those distances. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to call you a liar, bro, but where? I swear to God, it's like a unicorn. Like it doesn't exist. <laughs> The state is just not, I mean, for all the deer hunting that we have here and there it's a, it's like its own holiday here. There's so much deer hunting, but every range that I've ever been to, like the most, the most distance I've ever found at like a local like community range is like a hundred yards. Anything past right. that 250 on a private ranch. Um, they call it a ranch. It's like a, it's like a private community with cabins all over it. And you have to be a member and their range goes out to 250. And I'm like, all right, that's still pretty cool. Um, not really that far in the grand scheme of things, obviously. Um, but it's something that like, I think honestly, being able to reach out to those distances, if you're, a, I mean, honestly, hunter, uh, tactical shooter, and I hate using that word tactical, but if you're running a five, five, six gun, enthusiast sport shooter is the, the P, the, the <laughs> The PR uh, term, right? Uh, you should have at least some idea what your gun's capable of, um, and understand, you know, how to set it up that way. Uh, I and I, I don't know. I wonder with what we see on, on social media if people actually do. Oh, I mean, I would say it's a must. It's not a should. It's a must. I, I mean, I preach it all the time to to every class. It's you should train to the max effective of whatever system you have. Yeah. Whatever from your fists all the way up to long range, whatever you got train to the max effective of whatever that equipment is. But does that so because I got into this discussion with somebody too was around because this is like the like renaissance of like high rise mounts and like one nine three scope mounts and everything. Does that does that create more problems than it solves? I feel like it's more of a CQB esque solution, you know, closer distances because it puts your head in a weird position. This is what I've been told: is that you can't get as good of a cheek weld on the stock, and if you're in the prone position, it creates issues. And it's, you know, th- you know that I should be aware of that. I'm like, well, I like it because I don't. I hate turtling down behind a gun. Like, I just don't like it. <laughs> So the yeah, there's there's definitely preferences when it comes to those those heights. Um, 
as you go higher, you do induce more deviations when it comes to that precision shooting. So right. as we start going out in distance, we need to be even more consistent with, you know, our head placement, how we're looking through the optic, lining everything up. So you sacrifice a little bit on that side. And, you know, there might be some guys that, that kind of combat that comment, but I would say it's probably because they have been shooting for so long that mm -hmm. it's ingrained, that consistency is already ingrained in them. So they can, they can get away with doing those higher mounts and stuff like that. The higher mounts definitely do aid on the closer range stuff. So for me, I prefer the standard height stuff, but I'm not as fast at CQB things, but I am more effective at longer range. So it's a kind of a give and take a little and bit. The, and the standard height, that's the, it's one and a half, right? Yeah, 150. Yeah, right there. Um, just for people listening, so you have a, a point of reference, you start, you start hearing people talk about, <clears throat> you know, uh, 150193 um i've even i was watching a i think it's a gbrs video recently and i did not realize that goofy like hydra mount they have is actually like a 2.2 .2. <laughs> like that's really tall for even for a red dot um but just just to give people some context there when we're talking about optic heights your standard height you're probably going to come across as like you said a, a 150 um mm -hmm. And for a while that was, I mean, for, and even now that's pretty much, I, I think that's still the standard. I don't think that the, the tall height stuff has really kind of taken full hold of what's going on. Um, well, it's, it's coming back in a circle because the, the high mount stuff is how red dots were when they were put onto the, the carry handle of the M16s. Very true. Anybody listening so to this, go watch just, uh, Black Hawk Down. That's yeah. Yeah. It's just making a big, <laughs> big ass circle. And I'm pretty sure that the, um, I'd have to to research it, so don't don't quote me too much on it. But I'm pretty sure that the the height on the carry handle is about the same as a as a one nine three. If yeah, I'm not I think mistaken, that's true. it's pretty close it, to the same height. Yeah, it looks like it in photos and stuff. I've never actually mm -hmm. measured. I've never gotten my hands on one, but it looks pretty similar. It's kind of funny, like you're saying, like it's just a cycle of. You know, we want to get as tall as we can, and then we want to get eventually gets back down to you want to be as low and as close to the bore as possible, and then you start the process all over again. And <laughs> uh, I mean, I get, I no one wants to listen to the old guys, but people will probably tell you like, yeah, we had this figured out. No one wanted to listen, so we went the other way, and you know, it'll it'll normal normalize itself, and the cycle continues, right? Right. Uh, so in that regard, talking about scopes now, if we were to take that, not really a step back, but for somebody that, that can't, you know, afford an optic or sorry, can't afford glass, right? Cause I think cheap glass is actually worse than no magnification. Um, especially when you start looking at some like quality control issues, some of the cheap companies have like, uh, I, I don't even want to throw names out there. If you're spending less than $600 on glass, you may be somewhat disappointed with what you get. Um, I mean, there are companies that are coming out with some pretty impressive um, in that price range optics. Even below even six or, or around there? Around that, that range, somewhere in like the four to seven ish range. That'll, that'll do for the most part what it needs to. It may not be the best. It may mm -hmm. not be the most durable, but if you're, 
you know, if you're one of the guys that just likes to go out on the weekend and you're not really beating your rifles up or packing them or just kind of throwing them in the back of your vehicle where it's going to get hit all over the place, then, you know, that, that will be okay to an extent, but you're going to see the limitations. Usually the limitations comes when you start to see how at distance, how the targets become harder to identify because of clarity or being able to see through like the mirage, the mirage and stuff. If you're in like mm-hmm. some of the Southern States and, and things like that. Do you have recommendations if somebody was trying to, I mean, like, I think that's, that's probably one of the most Googled terms is always like best budget red dot best budget LB, LPVO. Like, do you have a recommendation from your experiences? So I would, I would honestly say start by identifying what it is that you're trying to do first. If you are trying to get into longer range stuff, then you need to already put yourself in that, that headspace to mm-hmm. then start going into researching based on a, on a budget that'll work for you within that realm. Because yeah. I would say, you know, start getting close to looking at, you know, the seven to 1200 range. If you're, if you're wanting to do that distance stuff, Cause you're just, what ends up happening every single time is like, like I'll get guys that come in, they're really happy with their setups. I don't, I don't make fun of anybody or anything like that. And then I just have them use their equipment and then I have them try other equipment and they become sometimes become upset at the stuff that they're using and wish that they had just saved up a hair more and picked up something that they could actually (laughs) see the target. And I'm glad you mentioned that too. Like the, the, you know, I don't make fun of anybody. And I, and I, most instructors that are actually there doing it for the right reasons won't. Right. Right. But you see it so much on social media, people who just genuinely maybe don't know, or they just don't have the budget, you know, like I'll use the, I'll use like the vortex strike Eagle as, uh, as an example, it was my first LPVO. I got the, the one to six version. I think my buddy bought like the one to eight and I was actually, I was pretty happy with it, honestly, for like the 300 bucks, like it came with the, the mount and everything. I'm like, wow, you, I mean, lifetime warranty, what's not to like about this. And then you just get some of these guys online that are just like roasting people about it. And it's like, okay, man, like, well, what would you recommend? And, you know, well, I would get like the, the Viper PSTs, the one, you know, the, the step up one to six from Vortex. Right. So like, okay. As a simpler reticle, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that's the trade-off. I don't know, but like, does it really, does it really even matter at, at that point? Like it's a six times magnification optic. You're not, we're not talking like a six to 25 or something here that you spent $300 on. Isn't it, is it going to be enough for that person? I mean, probably. And if it's not like, what, what difference does it make to you? Like, I, I'm sure again, it's one of those things where the application of proper training is going to make that person with the, you know, the optic that you deem less impressive, right. Is they're still going to be more effective with training with that, you know, quote, cheap optic than somebody with no training with, you know, uh, a $1,200, you know, one to six, one to eight, one to 10, whatever. Sure. And, and so it's, it goes into the whole, uh, um, more or less don't just tell me to get something like i want to know why yeah. 
like i need to i need for me like this is how i am i need to understand like kind of like the mechanics behind it before i justify you know jumping up to another realm per se mm -hmm. and just to say like hey well you need to go to the pst versus you know the viper it's like well i've looked through both of them and i don't really see the difference so you know give me an actual reason why other than well it's just better <laughs> or your favorite you know person your favorite personality on youtube said they like the viper over the strike eagle or the razor over the strike eagle and it's like well three hundred dollars versus twelve hundred dollars like that nine hundred dollars right. swing there that's that's a mortgage payment for some people man like mm -hmm. understanding it's not just a hey i just bought this well then you should sell it and buy this instead like oh yeah let me run out and do that right away like and, and that's that's how that's how i got started in all this is because i had a lot of guys telling me that kind of stuff and i was just like really well that's super discouraging and it doesn't really help me at all like i'm trying to understand why and you're just telling me well go buy this shit go buy this mm -hmm. go buy that or that's not going to work here and that's not going to work here and i'm and it goes back to the very beginning. It's just like my whole goal with, with Sidewinder was to absolutely destroy the intimidation factor yeah. of, of getting into this stuff. Make I it want you to be, yeah, I want you to come into an environment where you can ask the questions. There are no dumb questions. There isn't. If you don't know, you don't know. That doesn't make it stupid or dumb. Just because some guy already knows the answer and, and this other guy doesn't does not make it a dumb question. Yeah. It worked, <laughs> yeah it's sure education. Right. And I, I think some people, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't claim to understand why people do the things they do on social media. Uh, if I did, I'd probably make a lot more money for some marketing firm somewhere. Uh, it's a safe but, space for them. <laughs> yeah. Everyone can hide behind their keyboard with, uh, you know, their, their giant unvalidated opinions. Um, so, Kind of getting back to, you know, talking about training uh, with what you guys do. So what kind of curriculum do you offer with Sidewinder? I, I didn't realize until I talked to Nick that there was actually a space in distance shooting that involved moving from barricade to barricade and running around and being super mobile while taking super long, uh, the extremely intimidating uh, shots. Um, so is that, I mean, do you guys cover kind of all of it? And what does that look like? So, yes, um, essentially we, we offer, you know, a basic or an intro long range. And then it goes into a long range to a little bit more advanced, getting a little bit more in depth and then a, and a competition version. So the competition side of it being the PRS, PRS world is mm -hmm. a lot of that uh, low percentage or very, accurate shooting at extended distances off of multiple platforms. What we're starting to realize is that not only can the, the rifles do that, do that, but us as shooters are at the capability where we don't need to be on our bellies anymore. Like we can, we can shoot these extended distances on small targets, yeah. just standing on off of barricades and, and stuff like that. So yes, incorporating more dynamics, uh, more positions and anything that involves getting off of your belly is is highly recommended, and it just boosts the confidence and your capabilities overall. So, with all of that, 
how much does, does adding that, um, those dynamic components there, like how much does that change? Or I guess it makes it more difficult, right. To be accurate. And I think, and this is going to sound awful, but I'm going to ask anyways, because I honestly really want to know, like you see in movies and stuff, right. Where they, like, I think of the movie uh, shooter or um, there's like the TV show where they're like, keep your foot flat and the angle of your body and, and just all your breathing and everything. How, how much does that, I mean, truly impact your overall performance. And then you talk about doing it on the move. I can only imagine that that, you know, exponentially increases the room for error in those kinds of precision shots. So there's a lot of teachings um, that are in multiple areas and we also teach it as well where body mechanics and understanding how to maximize your position to mitigate the most recoil as possible based off of structuring how you're standing behind the rifle or how you're um, anchoring into a barricade and so on and so forth to to be able to do those those shots so yes being off-centered will ruin your ability to to get follow-on shots or even see your shot sometimes at, at a newer shooter's level. When, as you start to see some of the, the advanced guys or the competition guys, they're able to sit there and just watch their own trace inside the scope itself. Like I have a video on my, uh, my Instagram where you can watch the trace of every single round hitting the, hitting the target in, in the scope because of the, the, the ability to mitigate as much recoil as possible with having the proper uh, body mechanics to structure yourself behind the barricade and behind the rifle. And I honestly, like that's <laughs> even shooting from a bench and again, like hundred yards, six, five Creed more. I actually really struggled with that. Like I would break the shot and then I would completely lose sight picture um, right. and have to, you know, find myself again and figure everything out. It didn't, <laughs> Uh, it, it did not help that I took it to Cabela's for boar sighting. <clears throat> and um, I was, I think I told Nick this story. I had two uh, four foot by two foot targets laid like lengthwise next to each other at a hundred yards lining up, you know, obviously dead center at on the right target broke the first shot. Didn't see it. I'm like, did I just completely miss? Like, did I jerk it? Do I, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy with the, the spotting scope was like, um, no, you're just low and left of the left target. I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. How is it that far off? So basically, I just had to like wind the caps. Just like, you know what? Forget it. Obviously, this is like assume that this is not sighted at all and start the process all over and figure it all out. By the time I was done, it took me way longer than it should have. It took me probably 12 rounds to get it zeroed. Cause I'm, I'm really, really bad at zeroing, but for anybody listening, don't go to your local gun shop for boar sighting. It is a waste of time and money. I ended up being there for three hours, picking out scope rings and they couldn't find ones that would fit. And then this guy, uh, so here's something else I'll ask you. If you ever heard of this, <laughs> I'm assume not. I hope not. This guy put blue Loctite on every piece of hardware and then around the tube of the optic itself. So much so that I, and I live like 25 minutes from Cabela's. All right. So I got this from this guy, put it, it was in my bag, right. Walk out the store, get in the car, drive home. 
get home. I'm like, man, I can't wait to see this. Like I, I just bought the optic drop a thousand dollars on it. I'm like, cool. Got it all mounted up, pulled out. There was blue Loctite getting ready to drip into the firing chamber on a brand new rifle that has never been shot. Um, I was, I, I lost my shit. The store manager gave me a hundred dollar gift card and apologized profusely. Um, Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, yeah, great. That's really going to cover I'm the Sorry, cost. My rifle is like, like living and bleeding blue right now. Yeah. I had to take everything apart and well, I didn't take it all apart, but I had to wipe everything down and then just like watch it for like the next two hours to see if something was going to drip out of somewhere. And like, seriously, this is, this is what I sat here for three hours for while the guy, yeah, he couldn't, the, the scope rings didn't fit. And then instead of coming to find me, he just like waited at the counter. As I'm like walking the store, waiting for him to page me, uh, letting me know it was done. So it was it's terrible experience. I will not be back there for scope rings, or honestly anything really. Well, that's good because in these classes we teach you how to do rifle setup, so you know how to do it. <laughs> oh, like like actually uh, setting up the mount and and all that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I've even had it to the part where I'll get the guys that are like like they don't want to touch it because it was set up from somewhere else and i'm like nope take it all apart because you're going to learn how to do it do they, <laughs> I, the, cringe, know, I get it. the cringe factor really kicks in but once they understand it because i'll explain the whole entire thing before before going into that um but then they have like such uh um higher appreciation for their own platform because they're doing the work now and then not only that but they identified how to set it up specifically for them rather than there is you know you have your your averages on how to kind of set it up in a universal manner Mm -hmm. but ultimately you still need to go through the process of setting it up specifically for you like for example um generally you want to set up your length of pull so the distance from the trigger to the back end of the buttstock before you even put the scope on wait yeah (laughs) really and that's because it's it's more or less what it's doing is it's setting up the rifle to your body uh your body type and the length of your arms and you know your height and all that other good stuff and then you get behind the rifle you get behind the rifle in a very comfortable manner and then you put the scope on so you're not forcing or you're not you're not naturally forcing your head to go in and out like turkey necking or turtlenecking Mm -hmm. Um, in order to see through the optic you're making the setup work for you that makes so much more sense than the other way around so like real quick like one of the best analogies i've heard for this particular thing is is um let's say you and your wife are sharing the same car and she was the last one to drive it and then you drive it what's the first thing you usually do well, my wife's short as shit, so I bust my knees on the steering wheel every time getting in and out. Right. So you start adjusting it for you. Yeah, start sliding the seat back every time. And then you, and then you adjust the the mirror and everything for you, right? Yep. Boom. You don't. You're not forcing yourself to work in that seat configuration and that that rear view mirror configuration. You're adjusting it to work for you, so you can be comfortable and drive safely, and do your thing. Right. Rifles are the same way. Right, no, set it sense. up to you so that you can perform, um, you can perform the way you need to, and have the consistency, and not have that muscular tension increasing in certain areas because you're now like 
scrunching yourself up to force it to work. And essentially that's where the chassis really started coming into play because they have so many adjustments on them for a reason. And that mm-hmm. is so that you can specifically set this up to you so that you can be comfortable you can do engagements all day and keep that consistency going because you're comfortable. So when you're going through that with, with folks, like I, it, I assume it's a relatively simple process. I mean, not simple, simple, but like from a tool standpoint, you don't, do you need any kind of specialized tools or like levels or anything to make that really work? Or is it truly something that anybody can set up their rifle and I guess scope with it to, to make that all fit them correctly. And once they're shown how. Um, for the most part, you can do it with just the tools that the scope comes with the scope rings. Like that's the only tool you really need. So really? it's just to, to screw the scope caps tight. But as far as leveling goes, there's, you know, there's the field ways of doing it. And then there's the, you know, the advanced ways that you can do with cool technology and lasers and stuff like that. But the way that we normally do it is we'll just set up a plumb bob at, you know, a certain distance and you set the rifle up to what's most comfortable for you. And then you keep the, the rings a little loose and you rotate the scope until the top edge of the reticle and the bottom edge of the reticle are parallel with the plumb bob that you're looking right. at. So now it's it's uh, level with gravity because every single time you want that reticle to be straight. You don't want to sit there and start canting canting the uh, the reticle to line up with the target per se or with terrain or anything like that because you're going to start skewing your shots. That's way simpler than sitting there putzing around. I have uh, magnetic like gunsmith levels, like little tiny ones that I'll I'll use. And I swear to God, I mess with those things for like 20 minutes. Once I like, nope, back, nope, back the other way. Oh, too much. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it drives me insane. Cause like if I'm looking through my scope and I feel like the reticles off, it's going to, once I have that like realization, it's going to bug the hell out of me until I have an opportunity to try and mess with it again. Well, so here's the next part. <clears throat> Even when you're doing that, right what a lot of people don't realize is if you come up to the side of the rifle and then tilt your head in, like, like just drop it to the side and look yeah. into it versus coming from behind <laughs> the rifle and dropping your head straight down, you'll see the reticle shift every time because I mean, of the perception right. of how you're coming into it. And that's and where that's that consistency be. really comes in. Yeah. And that's going to be different based on your shooting. Well, it, it, it shouldn't be, but it could be different based on, shooting position or how you're shouldering the rifle. It won't be different as long as your approach into the rifle is the same, meaning you start from behind and then you come straight into it and drop your head straight down onto it rather than what a lot of guys like what we'll, we'll say the newer, the newer shooters into this realm might do is they might crawl up to the rifle and then come in from the side and just dip their head straight down or off to the side onto mm-hmm. onto the rifle versus coming in directly behind it and then um, bringing their head straight into it. So would that be different? Cause I'm, I'm thinking like, like a, a scoped carbine versus a precision rifle would, I mean, ideally it would still be the same, but do you, do you see more, 
<laughs> fair enough. I was just gonna say, do you see more of more of that, like the um, head positioning stuff with like a scoped carbine, like a one, like an LPVO on a sixteen-inch five-five-six gun versus guys that are coming into that with more of like a precision shooting structuring their body behind it and it's it and it amounts to the same thing right it's like just not knowing but i think you see more people doing goofy stuff behind you know regular just ar platform guns i I wouldn't call it yeah i wouldn't call it goofy i would just say that there's more levels of inconsistencies um such as like are you shooting with a backpack on and the way your stock is hitting the straps or a plate carrier that might, yeah. you know, start tilting, tilting the rifle just a hair. So your approach is going to come in from the side a little bit with your, you know, your cheek, to cheek, to stock weld, or are you going with, you know, slick with nothing on where you can actually come straight into it. And this is good. kind of goes back to that one nine three versus one five Oh aspect where the higher it is, generally you're just going for what's comfortable because you're going fast. So there's a little right. bit more room for you to kind of have that, that deviation a little bit. And that's where that reference came in where, you know, those one nine threes are, are effective. They, they work, but you have to really make sure that your consistency on how you come into the rifle, um, the consistency with how you come into the rifle so that you can make sure that that precision aspect is, mm-hmm. is doing what it needs to kind of thing. Well, and my, and my thought honestly too, is just thinking about all the guys like, well, I mean, and, and certainly myself included in that is like shooting behind a scope with a uh, chest rig and a backpack and, or a plate carrier and all that kit that you have to maneuver your, <clears throat> your uh, shoulder pocket or cause guys will talk about that all the time. Like, oh, I just can't the gun in mm-hmm. inward because of the the swimmers cut on my plate or whatever and usually it's like a dot you know or or an eotech or something so i think the overall assumption is that it matters less than with a scope i think the principles i correct me if i'm wrong the principles should be the same like ideally if you're trying to be precise about your shot placement and accountable you want to try and you know be behind it like you were saying yes but if you're if you're canted and the further your optic is away from the bore, so the higher mounts, yeah. it, it it essentially turns into, and this this again is for further distances. Um, mm-hmm. What ends up happening is it's a pendulum effect. So you got to think that if the optic is staying straight and that's your pivot point for where you canted, the barrel is moving in a in a yeah. swooping underneath it. So now you're pushing your if you're a right-handed shooter and you canted it in toward you, your barrel is now facing a little bit more out towards the right or swooped out towards the right. And so you're going to start skewing your shots out towards the right a little bit. So it's one more, more variable you have to account for when trying to make those shots. Yeah. The, the easy answer is the way you zeroed it is how you shoot at distance. So if right. you zeroed it dead straight, make sure you're <laughs> shooting dead straight every single time. Now I understand like exactly. with carbines and stuff like that, it's close enough distances that it's not gonna be an effect. But when we're starting to push these distances towards the max effective or pushing it a little further, you're damn right that that you know that makes a difference. And well, it goes into just... like how the eye box is on scopes too. 
I don't know if you've done much research on those. (laughs) I don't understand a lot of the science. I mean, I do, but I don't understand a lot of the science behind it. But eye box, eye relief, a lot of that stuff. Like I, I genuinely think that some people that really don't spend the time looking into it draw like the conclusions like, well, I just don't like scoped optics because it just doesn't work with my eyes or, you know, I just don't like it because it's not fast or, you know, fill in the blank on reason. It's like, well, it goes back to what you were were talking about, right? With like, well, did you set it up correctly? Like, did you adjust it? Did you look at your relief? What's the eye box like on that? Because, and that's different, right? For different optics. It can be drastically different from one to the other. And if you don't even realize that it's a thing, then it's not a fair comparison. Okay. Would you like me to explain it real quick? I really would. <laughs> All right. So when it comes to eye boxes um, or the the reference, you'll he- you'll usually hear a lot of guys when it comes to magnified optics saying, "Oh, this scope is forgiving," or "This one's less forgiving." Have you have you heard that term before? In tons of YouTube reviews, yeah. Okay. I'll tell you right now that forgiving equals more bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> let me me explain why (laughs) all right so you know getting serious with this the easiest way for me to explain kind of like how the eye box is is similar to how iron sights are now everybody a lot of or i should say a lot of people are familiar with how a like an m4 carbine style iron sight is where you'll have Mm -hmm. the circle in the rear and then a, a post in the front right right a lot of those rear posts, um, not the M4 specifically, but other uh, manufacturers will have the ability to either switch to the big circle or the little circle. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yep. Like it's, right, yeah, so, yeah, there's names for it. It's like precision or something. I don't know. Yeah. You can flip between the small one and the big so, one. Yeah. Right. So what that originated was just for a little bit of history is um, the big one was for, for nighttime, like during Vietnam. <laughs> And the little one was to, it was like daytime essentially. So you can get a little bit more light in what you can see. What ended up happening is a lot of people thoroughly enjoyed the bigger one because it was easier for them to get more field of view and they can see everything. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So then it came into, in order to be accurate, you had to make sure that you had the sight post dead center every single time. Right. You, you're starting to understand where we're going with this now. Yep. All right. When it comes to eye box, it's the exact same thing as the little circle versus the big circle. So a more forgiving eye box, meaning like it's quick and easy to get is like using the big circle on a rear iron sight, which means that you have to be even more consistent with your approach because there's more deviation that you could induce into it from like side to side like the parallax and things like that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say like parallax on a red dot. When you look at a tight eye box or a less forgiving, it's because the way it's set up on the inside is a lot, you know, a lot tighter, similar Mm -hmm. to how the precision hole on that rear iron sight is where it's tiny that once you're lined up, you're lined up kind of thing. But, you know, it takes a little bit to kind of really get set up behind it. So in theory, the tight eye box, the minute you got that clear image, there's less deviation possible and and you're going to be more consistent 
throughout each shot versus a more forgiving optic. Uh, there's a little bit of more room for you to have error on how you, um, how you are set up behind it. And it might look like a clear image, but you're not, you know, directly straight behind the rifle itself or the optic okay. itself. So then <clears throat> what we hear as a more forgiving optic is actually in application less forgiving because it induces more room for error. Correct. Which means that you like, as long as you understand that, so there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with one or the other. Right. And I'm not saying like, well, don't get these kind of things. Right. Like for example, a lot of the vortexes are known to be very, very forgiving. That's why a lot of people love them. Mm -hmm. The emphasis is that as long as you understand that for, forgiving per se means that there's more room for error, you have to make sure that you are more consistent on your approach behind the optic and how you're, you're going through your, your shot process. So then is that, and that plays into eye relief as well for shooters too, which I think kind of pairs what you're talking earlier with setting up the scope to you and things mm -hmm. like that. So it's all, it's not a one part problem, simple solution. There's, multiple variables to addressing how do I make the scope work for right. me? Yeah. And then, yeah, you look at like Leopold's and, you know, everybody knows them as being extremely accurate. Well, they're also tight eye boxes. So by default, <laughs> right. it kind of, in a way it kind of makes you more accurate because you become more consistent. And that's why these guys, these guys like these things. Yeah. It forces you to be more more mm -hmm. consistent um when approaching the the weapon yeah i mean it's and that's one of the things that i think if people are going to seriously look at a scoped weapon well it's a carbine a bolt gun um an ar-10 or i don't know what the term is dmr spr whatever they want to call it right um you need to understand that first like even it, it honestly hearing all of that it almost sounds like you need to understand all of that before you even start understanding or trying to understand like what the reticle is telling you like otherwise you're just setting yourself up for inconsistency and almost failure by not you know really understanding what your your optic setup is doing for you whereas it's just way more forgiving with like a simple red dot and maybe that's why some guys opt for that it's just the that apprehensiveness that just like they just don't know. So they don't try. Yeah. I mean, I would ultimately say that <laughs> we'll, we'll take the carbine, for example, a, five, a standard five, five, six carbine, a 14, five or a 16 inch. Mm -hmm. You really need to ask yourself, are you planning to go more long range or are you planning to do more CQB still? And just kind of dipping in like once you once you get into that headspace of knowing the route that you want to go that'll kind of help you to dictate which uh style of lpvo or full-blown scope that you want to get see and I, that's what i hate you get these guys are like what's the what's the perfect barrel length what's the perfect optic setup and like well it depends like you're never going to get one thing <laughs> that does everything really really well like in my right. mind no matter how many people, how many people on the internet tell you not to, you should probably own, this is, this is my opinion, two separate carbines, one for close engagements. Like I have an 11 and a half that I really like. 
and then something with a longer barrel that you know presumably is set up to give you a longer reach so for me it's a 16 inch with a one to six on it in my mind what's the first one you're grabbing what's the first one you're grabbing probably the 11 and a half honestly really for me yeah for me personally well i live in a very very suburban area um so I, the, the likelihood of me taking long shots, uh, with the amount of like kids and <laughs> small animals and stuff running around here. Like I just, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I probably would for better or for worse. I, I <laughs> um, if I actually had to go out and do shit, I might honestly grab the 16. Like if I thought yeah. I'd have to like leave the house for an extended period of time, I would think that the scope gives me more capability. Well, and so this is where kind of like that whole question of which one's the best one. And, and I mean, for me, it, you can look at the military, for example, and, you know, they issue out to, you know, all the premier units, 14 fives. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that max effective stuff that I was talking about from an energy standpoint, energy being like it's, it's killing capability. Um, the muzzle velocity standpoint, like how far it can go before it hits that transonic zone. Um, the 14.5 is plenty capable of hitting the, you know, five to 600 fairly easily. And yeah. obviously the 16 can go a little bit further and 18, 20, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, 14.5 has been what's widely issued to the entire military. And, you know, those guys are doing all the, you know, the door kicking, the, the recce missions, the, the, whatever you want to, the long range stuff, like, all of it. Generally, everybody's carrying a standard issued rifle, which is more often than not a fourteen five. Right, and I think that's why you see. I mean, because of that, you you see a lot of focus on it. Then I think some people are deterred, honestly, because then, unfortunately, due to like laws and stuff now here too, you have to like pin and weld, and then you're married to that muzzle device, which for a lot of us doesn't matter. For some people, if you're running a can, right, it does. Um, which hopefully that goes away soon. I'm really hoping with all this recent stuff about these pistol braces, I really hope it opens the door and it, it sounds like it might um, to just getting some of this like SBR shit thrown out the window <laughs> altogether. And then you can run whatever barrel length you want with like a vertical grip that doesn't actually make it more deadly. And we can all be a little bit happier. But, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, who, who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll have to, to wait and see. And that's something else I wanted to ask about too, was the addition of a suppressor. Mm -hmm. So when you're setting up rifles, you're zeroing and everything you should, right. Recheck your reconfirm zero with the can to see if that's then caused any shift Shift. and, and adjust accordingly. Yes. So some, some cans are more consistent than others. Mm Mm-hmm there's a lot of like factors that kind of kick in with that specifically, but yes, ultimately if you have the opportunity to reconfirm your zero and it creates that level of confidence in your equipment, then, then do it. Right. Yeah. Taking your can on and off won't be an issue for again, like the closer, closer range stuff. But as you start going out a distance where consistency really matters, uh, you do want to double check all that that stuff. Anytime you take something on or off or put mm-hmm. something on, take something off, 
reconfirm it. <laughs> Do you have one that you like for Suppressor? in terms of yeah? Uh, so I thoroughly enjoy the Griffin Armament uh, recce cans. Um, I should be running the one of their newer cans of PSR five here shortly. So I'll be doing some cool videos with that here shortly. Um, that makes me happy to yeah, hear. The, my brother's looking armament at, stuff. Yeah, my brother's looking into buying one. I was like, you could like I bought a Dead Air Sandman. I really mm-hmm. like it. Um, honestly, I was just I was just happier than a pig and shit to actually have a suppressor. Like, right. Uh, but he's looking into getting one now, and he's like, oh, I gotta I gotta buy Surefire. Like, why do you have to buy a Surefire? Like, well, if I'm gonna do it, I want quality i'm like you're gonna get quality out of a lot of these companies the brand recognition i think is what you're actually talking about and right one of the companies i recommended him was like check out griffin i hear nothing but good stuff about most of their cans they're they're one of the yeah they're one of the oldest the oldest suppressor companies out there which a lot of people don't realize (laughs) So I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they've been around the game a very, very long time, and, and you'll save some like, of the original stuff. And you'll save like, I mean, I think when I looked, the was it the RC two, the Surefire everybody wants, uh, like the mm-hmm. RC two, was like twelve hundred bucks before your stamp and stuff. And I'm sure that right. Griffin was like eight hundred dollars. So even after your stamp, you're yeah. still cheaper than what the Surefire cost you. And <clears throat> you know, I mean, I they're both good cans. Like obviously the surefire is, or people wouldn't be using them all the damn time, but like you don't have to go with the, the super because Griffin's a name brand to me too. So I don't, I don't want to say you don't have to go with super name brand. You just don't have to go with the stuff that all the guys on YouTube are telling you, you have to buy. You still get a well, good the can. surefire. The surefire comes from the military too. That's what's issued to the, the SOCOM guys. Well, yeah. I mean the, yeah, everyone's <laughs> got to run what SOCOM runs. Cause God knows we're all doing all the same shit, right? So, um, no even, sick. yeah, well, I, and actually I, I even saw a video with a couple of the guys, it was grand thumb and like Kevin Owens and somebody else from Fieldcraft, And even they came out and said, like, you don't have to buy surefire. Like the military bought it because of the durability. And honestly, like we didn't go through like near as many of them as we thought, but the reason we bought it was because of durability. Like you can get all kinds of other stuff out there that, you're not going to, if you're not putting 15,000 rounds a year through it, you don't need that. And people don't want to hear it. And it's like, there's other considerations. Like there are quieter cans out there. There are more consistent cans. Like what we're talking about here that are going to, you know, jack up your, your setup a lot less. It doesn't have to be what fill in the blank YouTuber uh, explained to you is the best can for whatever reasons. I mean, still good, but it just doesn't have to be um, or, you know, for my brother, he just didn't want to change out his muzzle device. I'm like, that's a dumb reason. There's a really dumb reason. They'll probably send you a muzzle device with the can you idiot. Like just buy it yeah. and, and then run it. You'll be perfect. You'll be really happy. You won't even care by the time it shows up in six months. Yeah. But I mean, that. <laughs> oh yeah. It's I see. I got lucky. Um, mine took just like, uh, just under three and a half months after filing the e-form. Um, and that was two months in. Like I, I did a paper one and my FFL converted everybody to e-forms. So two months in, I had to restart the clock. So it technically was like five and a half months. Regardless, I had it like the beginning of May. 
uh, after I bought the can on black Friday. So I was still like, I was doing better than a lot of guys. Um, I know people who have waited 14 months to get cans. Um, (laughs) it's obnoxious. It's, it's totally awful. Um, no, is that are suppressors something that are more common in what you're seeing in, in the precision space or just, is it easier to just run a muzzle break? And I don't know how many guys travel, you know, across state lines and stuff for this. Um, so I haven't had, um, so I'm the one that travels, right? So I'll travel to these different locations to, to okay. run these courses. So I don't have guys that, uh, I haven't yet had anybody that flew into a certain area to take a course, but I do see a lot of guys with suppressors. Now, the more on the competition side, guys will run muzzle brakes because they need the least amount of recoil possible when you're shooting off all these platforms. But when it comes to just, you know, having fun doing the enthusiast thing and, and plinking at targets, uh, more often than not, we, uh, we like to see the suppressors and the guys have them there too, so that we don't have to wear ear pro and we can sit there and just be comfortable and have a good time. Kind of Is it really, is it really hearing safe though with those rounds? Uh, yeah. Like if you get a, if you have a can that's like made for those, those rifles, like 30 cal cans that are like a normal size, not like a stubby 30 cal can. The K cans. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I mean, I've had some guys that had K cans on a 308 and so those are still loud, but if you're not, if you're in an open area where there's no like overhead cover or you're not in like a garage type thing then it won't bother you uh, as long as you're behind it i have to try and see well it would be different on a 5.56 gun right it'll still be pretty loud with 5.56 with what a 30 cal can yeah usually 30 cal cans are um a hair longer because they were designed for that Mm-hmm. Uh, for the bigger cartridges so it kind of supplements the larger bore being on on a 5.56 gun having that little extra length so that ends up just being pretty damn close to the same thing like you wouldn't you could take a 5.56 can of the same uh length as a 30 cal version and you probably won't hear the deviation really yeah like it's huh. it's pretty damn close <laughs> I'm going to try it next time. I finally, I finally made friends with somebody who has land uh, here in Michigan where we can shoot. I think it's, I mean, it's only up to like 50 yards, but it's not an indoor range. So I'm super right. happy to be there next time. I'm going to try it. I'm going to see if I, if I can run without ear pro and if it's going to bother the hell out yeah. of me or not. If you're behind that 45 like degree kind of threshold, like going from each side of the shooter, mm-hmm. like you're behind the shooter and it won't bother you. Really? If you're like oh, kind of yeah. like in that 90 degree range, uh, like next to a shooter, depending on how far forward or behind the muzzle is, then you'll, you'll kind of hear it like pierce your ear a little bit, but not nothing too crazy yeah, for the most part, to. as long as there's no overhead cover and you're not in a room of some sort, then you'll be fine. Anything for the, the sound to, to reverb off of and come back at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Hey man, this has been awesome. Um, I've enjoyed this thoroughly. I, I didn't that, how did, let me ask, how did you, that, that bit about the, the, uh, apertures and the irons from Vietnam, where did you pick that up? 
I found an old uh, training manual for an M16, like <laughs> wow. a very old one. And I just started like reading it. It's like, for example, a lot of people don't realize that the front sight post on all almost all aftermarket iron sights is thick for a certain reason. <laughs> like, you, like, you know how most people complain like, oh, it's too thick. Like, I can't really see kind mm-hmm. of thing. Well, it was designed to be a rangefinder. So well, the thickness maybe... of the, yeah, the thickness of the sight post at the radius of an M16. So like the, from the rear sight to the, to the front sight mm-hmm. at the time was if you took the, the actual post itself edge to edge on shoulder to shoulder of a, of a human, it would be 300, 300 meters away. If the post covered from the sternum to the shoulder, they'd be roughly 150. And if they went, uh, if their shoulder to shoulder covered only half of the post, then they were about 450. So now you just bracketed, you just bracketed with an iron sight. And so then you looked at the way those iron sights were, even in the M4s now, they have the the click adjustment for each 100 meter increment on the side of it. So as long as you zeroed it properly and you know the distance, those iron sights work pretty damn well. And so you could just now that now that you knew what the distance was or a general reference, your shots were even more on target. So it's like I'll ask some guys like like, do you think you can be accurate with a Mark 18 and a red dot? Yeah, I as, did. as long as you know your holds and you know your distances, then yeah, why not? You should right. be able to know your platform enough to be able to hit these hit some of these distances well that just highlights like how much people or or i guess how much we take the the platform itself for granted like because nobody wants to run the fixed front sight anymore nobody you know we have like the magpul flip-ups and stuff and like Mm -hmm. but that's like i found out last winter did not realize that the standard gi uh trigger guard uh actually just has that pin and it swings down so you can shoot shoot the platform with a gloved hand I just thought it was right. like a way to make it not to punch out pins or whatever to change out your trigger guard. I had, I had literally no, I felt like such a dumbass afterwards. I'm like, that makes, that makes so much sense. That's why it's so big. You can put like, like the, the nose of a five, five, six round in there to depress that little button and swing it down. Yep. Yeah. It's a way better platform than I think people give it credit for. I, uh, that's outstanding. Like I, Honestly, I probably should read more books about it, to be honest, instead of you'd I just read surprised. a lot. On... <clears throat> you'd be surprised, oh, like reading about some of these like old manuals, because that's yeah. how. So like interesting enough, I don't know. Have you have you seen or heard what the uh, the shoot in the first test you take when you go to the U.S. Army Sniper School? No. All right. So you have to you get um, 25 rounds and you have to make five five round groups in less than four centimeters with an unzeroed M4 iron sights at 25 yards. If you don't get four out of those five to pass, you go home <laughs> on day that's, one. That's that's awful. No, not really. Cause what it does is it, it teaches you that don't you, it doesn't matter if the rifle is zeroed or not. It's all about showing consistency to the instructors, like the fundamentals of marksmanship and consistency. Like, I don't give a shit where it is on the paper as long as it's grouped at less than four centimeters, which is close to two inches, I think, 
Um, oh, I see, okay. I see what you're saying. I was thinking like in relative terms to the bullseye, like. No, no, like, no, no, no. Okay. Okay. All right. I understand. Yeah, just now. anywhere okay, on this paper. Right. And you can't see it because it's too far away for you to be able to identify with the, with the naked eye. Um, and where I was going with this is one of the, one of the things that I learned was the whole trigger guard thing. So the first thing I did when I got there um, was as I popped that trigger guard out so I could get my finger as low as possible to get the most mechanical advantage. The second thing I learned was, um, and I forget who, who taught me, it was, it was one of the, the NCOs when I first got into the sniper section, he was saying, if you look at the way the gears are in the trigger system of the three round burst M4, and you rack it, um, I think it was three times on the third time that you racked it, the trigger was like like a couple like a couple ounces lighter because of the way the gearing system was. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, because that three round burst, it was like a not a a piston or, or or something. And yeah, when you get to that third trigger pull or something like that, yeah, I I have heard. Well, if you're dry firing it, like just so oh, you know, yeah. other people who are listening, because obviously three round burst, you would just, you know, hold it, it would shoot three rounds and then you would reset and do it again. But if you were dry firing it, you could feel the trigger, the, the weight of the trigger actually change on the third rack. And so what I did was I hand loaded all my rounds. So I would rack it, you know, two times, throw a round into the chamber, shoot it, like doing, doing the, the shooting process. And of course I took like super long to do this whole thing, but that's what I was doing is, is I would, throw one round in, shoot it, you know, rack it twice, throw another round in and until I got all my 25 done. That wasn't, they didn't like figure out how you were gaming it and like DQ you for it. That was totally legal. No, they didn't. No, they didn't have any. Um, it was just, I mean, there was not really anything to cheat. It's like, you just know the, the system. Yeah. That's really kind cool. Honestly, I didn't even realize that that see, that's one of those, another one of those things. Somebody sat me down and was like, here, you got to make, what did you say four out of five, like in that, in that group or like, you know, you're done. Mm-hmm. Probably shit my pants a little bit. Like, well, all right, don't fuck oh, this everybody. up. Yeah. Could you do a PT test and then immediately go straight to the range and you get two attempts. You get, you know, you do the first time you get, you know, one more time to attempt it. If you don't, if you don't get it, you go home. And it you, usually gets a lot of people. I think in, in my class, we had, I think like seven, seven ish people go home just on day one. Out of how many? Uh, if I remember right, we started with like about 30 or 40. Damn. That's, yeah, that's, that's a lot of dudes out of only 30 or 40. That's, but well, it's been higher. Like one of the other guys in the section, um, he had like, I think closer to 12 or 13 people go home on day one. Wow. Now, is that when you're going through the school and everything, is that, is that just around shooting or does that actually get into like the, those recce concepts and stuff? And, um, or is that like a separate school? So there's, there is a separate school, very specific towards reconnaissance itself. Um, but they do dip into, um, some of those roles and a lot of the field craft, uh, base skills, but majority of it is, is the shooting portion itself. That's great. Dude, I, and that sounds honestly like probably one of the better class. Like I've heard some pretty horrendous things about some of the school courses they make people in the military go to. That one actually sounds like a ton of fun. Like 
is it all practical? Like you're on the gun the whole time, or is there like a classroom portion that they make you go through too? Uh, yeah, you do a lot of classroom, a lot of on the gun. Like it's a lot of hours, <laughs> a lot of hours, <laughs> a lot. Of, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess it makes sense. It's probably, you know, explaining a lot of what you talked about, the math behind it and understanding just what, what you're doing. Um, yeah, I, but I hear other stuff and like, guys and other podcasts and stuff talking about like jump school and stuff. That sounds awful to me. Like I would never want to go through something like that. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> or like I, I have a buddy that went through the Marine Corps and he talked about going through SEER training. I'm like, and did you have mm-hmm. to do this? He's like, no, I just signed up for it. Like, what? Like you were bored? He's like, yeah, yeah, it was actually, it wasn't fun, but like I have some really cool stories. I'm like, and you signed up for that. I'm like, cool, man. Like that's, you know, actually two buddies. Yeah. One of them that helped me start this podcast was attack P in the, in the air force. He talked about seer, not a lot, but you know, he, he mentioned just some of the, the bad stuff, just the shock factor stuff. And then a buddy who was in the Marine Corps, I think he deployed twice to Afghanistan. Um, yeah. And just like the, the goofy shit. I'm like, that sounds horrendous, man. Like, why would you do that? Other than like now when your kid, who's all getting ready to turn like nine. Like when your kid decides he's going to be big enough to try and fuck with you, you can tell him the stories about what you've gone through and that'll end that like great. <laughs> you know, or like, Oh yeah. You'd be surprised how fast six grown men can tear apart a live chicken. Like, don't tell me any more of this, man. Like I can only imagine where this is going, <laughs> but well, yeah. um, I mean, at any rate, like, so th- this was awesome and, and really educational. Um, so I, I appreciate you making the time and coming on. I really do. Uh, before we kind of wrap here, can you go ahead and tell the listeners if they want to find out some more about what you're doing, uh, sign up for some of your classes where they can find you online? Yeah. So um, the website's still being worked on, but you can get on there. It's uh, sidewinderconcepts.com. And then um, where you guys can talk to me if you want to want, uh, mainly on Instagram, which is just Sidewinder Concepts you'll see the, you know, the upside down triangle looking logo and yeah, that's about it. Right on, man. Well, thank you again. Uh, really enjoyed this. And uh, anybody listening, if you guys are seriously looking into getting into uh, any kind of long range shooting, just pushing your limits, learning, right. Highly recommend you check it out see what's going on. Uh, Adrian comes highly recommended from some, some previous guests uh, so, I mean, definitely worth the time looking into it and hopefully you can make it out to a class. Um, but again, thank you, brother. Really, really appreciate it. And, uh, stay safe out there. All right. And there it is my conversation with Adrian from Sidewinder Concepts LLC. And, you know, like I said, when I started this episode, one of my goals for this year is to, is to understand more about long range shooting. And I feel like it's one of those things, unless you've been out there doing it and you've really dedicated a lot of time and energy and effort uh, into attempting, failing, succeeding, and really getting a a deep understanding of how to shoot at distance, like how really how to do it, um, you know, there's just, there's a lot to it. And I I really want to seek out those kinds of guys to share their knowledge uh, certainly had some very qualified individuals on before who have also filled uh, sniper roles. And uh, Josh from Survivor's Contact comes to mind. And <clears throat> uh, obviously, you know, super happy that uh, Nick from Leopold Optics was able to connect uh, Adrian and I and 
looking forward to our follow-up discussion where we kind of get into the practical application of some of these you know scoped carbine skills these long-range precision skills and how uh, like i said the, the practical application how it plays into if you ever had to deploy these skills in a defense scenario really really looking forward to that discussion that follow-up uh, a couple weeks down the road here i think you guys are are really going to like that one if you enjoyed this that is going to be just way 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 cooler really good stuff super excited about it um, but i hope you guys enjoyed it i hope you learned some stuff and you know if you're if you're in the market to take some of these classes, if you're also looking for uh, this kind of instruction to get into, you know, precision rifle shooting, to get into precision competition shooting, uh, or maybe you just want to be more effective, you know, with your AR-15, with your LPVO, and just understand the data that the reticle gives you, how to set your gun up to be more effective and accurate, highly, highly, highly recommend seeking out Sidewinder and what they're doing. Really, really good stuff. I know they're going to be partnering with a couple other companies in the industry to bring even more curriculum and education and learning opportunities to all y'all out there. So stay tuned for that. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. Uh, I do have some insider tips on who that is. I just don't know if I'm allowed to share it. So I'm going to err on the side of caution and not spill the beans. I don't want to be <laughs> that guy that blows it for somebody. But like I said, uh, I I really, really enjoyed the conversation with Adrian. I hope you guys learned some stuff. And again, just really, really looking forward to next time. That's all I got for you this week, though, folks. So stay tuned for next week. More good stuff going on. Can't wait to get to that. But until then, guys, get out there, hit the range, work hard, train smarter, and like we always say here, be prepared. Be prepared.